Hey sibling, welcome to the Unmasking Unschool podcast. I'm your host, Louisa Shirey, aka Solar Flare. We are all solar flares, defying the gravity of groupthink, beaming frequencies that disrupt the airwaves. And in this podcast, I share perspectives and reframes from the solar system, a liberatory framework for creative autistic folks who are seeking another way to see, know, and be yourself. You are not here to fit in and the radical reimagining of how to honor all of who you're here to be begins within. Hey sibling, how are you doing? I've had a couple of weeks off the podcast and I'm really glad to be back and talking to you and so much has happened. Uh, But I'm going to talk about something which is, okay, so full disclosure, I'm going to talk about a lesson that I'm still in and I'm going to cover it in a couple of episodes. And by that, I mean, it's something that I'm very much working on and working through and is I, I'm not seeing myself as the epitome and the embodiment of this lesson being um, realized, which is all about taking up space, taking up space in your life, in the public sphere, in your relationships, and having a level of internal claiming of authority to decide who you are, right? To decide who you are and what you're about and let that just be what it is and no longer question it, to not be apologetic, right? And I want to talk about this by sharing some a very personal recent experience with extinguishing an inner demon that has I've cleared out I've recently cleared out this inner demon and I'm going to talk about it in the next episode today I just want to kind of give the framing for it and but really it's it's been the clearing out of something that I've been holding for about 25 years And clearing it out, and I'll talk about what I really mean by that, has created a new space in me. Essentially, I've been through my own tunnel of un, and but it's like a a tunnel of undoing and unlearning a 25-year-old belief. But that clearing and working through it has created this space in me, but I haven't yet stepped into that space it's like a new awareness of, whoa, something that was there in the way that I just got used to and adapted around is gone. And so it feels strange. Anyway, so the external self-expression and the level of public or vocational claiming and presentation of who I am and what I'm about it's about to go through uh, an expansion it's about to go through a re re encoding right I know it's coming so that's what I mean in terms of still being in the lesson but I want to talk about it because I want to talk about taking up space And I had to think about this word taking, taking up space. Words are spells, they're incantations of specific paradigms and energies, right? Words matter, 
They encode meanings. They're like little engines. They are invitations. They invoke energies in our bodies and our minds. And so the sense of taking up space, it makes sense, right, when we're talking about taking back space that was taken, right? So I think that's where it comes from in the lexical, in the vernacular of uh, the social moment. But it still feels like it means that space is a limited resource and that to have any, we have to take it or take it back. And then I was thinking about space. I'm not sure that space is it either because this is space-time. This is energetic permission to exist materially. This is existential, what I want to talk about. And anyway, so, and I've also been thinking about how we often get caught up in the spells and grammar of Enlightenment era thinking of time as linear which then makes it feel like progress and evolving and growing and becoming and unmasking is a set of linear steps, which is a a really overwhelming and boring and off-putting way to look at it, but it's also not accurate to the experience, not only of growing into ourselves, but also of time. Anyway, so Tunnel of Un... This is my phrasing for the experience of growth. It's like a tunnel. It's like you go from what you think you know, being able to see everything, to then suddenly entering this dark space of not knowing, of discomfort, of confusion, of unknowns, of unknown outcomes, of doing new things and not knowing how it's going to go and the uncomfortableness of that. So it's a lot of uns, the undoing, the unlearning of old selves, the unraveling of old ideas. And it's this space between that and the other side, which is a new vista, right? A new perspective, a new understanding. But there's an addendum that I want to give to this concept. So I've talked about Tunnels of Un before on the podcast. It's uh, a primary concept. It's a core concept in the solar system. But yeah, there's an addendum I want to give that I haven't fully fleshed out before, which is that it's not a linear tunnel. (laughs) It's a portal. It's like a collapsing of timelines. It's a wormhole. There's something that happens when we enter a kind of unlearning moment where it's not that we exit a tunnel with a new perspective on the same material reality. It's that the entire space-time encoding shifts. It's quantum. So the tunnel of un isn't, oh, I just this is how I thought it was, and now I know it's not that, it's this. It's not new information. It's not just new data from new experience. It's a complete reorganization on every level, right? On a physiological, psychological, emotional, and cellular an energetic level and quantum level and so a tunnel of un it's like when you're a kid and the first time you realize that teachers are real people and they have lives outside of school it repositions the entire coordinates of your assumptions about who they are who you are in the world or it's what i imagine photography did to people's relationship with sight and probably what AI is going to do with our relationship with digital media, if it's not already. 
So there's an element of this which is like Plato's allegory of the cave, right? We see where we've been looking at shadows, thinking that that's reality, and then suddenly we have a different understanding. But it's also what happens on an internal level when we heal something. So a tunnel of is really calling us into healing something by unlearning the reality that our entire system had adapted to and assumed as the reality that we need to prepare for and assume is there and react to. So anyway, I don't know what I'm going to call this episode, but probably not taking up space. I might call it expanding into self or something like that. It really is a sense of expanding, a sort of unfolding, a fractal unfolding, a spiral. It's like a star exploding open slowly. But anyway, what does it feel like when we aren't taking up space or when the internal space is taken up with stuff that we haven't worked through and healed? On a biological level, on a physiological level, it's that our cells are literally having to be in two states at once. The stress response of the original experience that we went through and also homeostasis and living life, right? And so when we've been experiencing something through our life and we haven't worked through it and healed it, and it's part of the working assumptions that we have about what is real, and we're holding something in, then our cells are literally having to do these two things at once. Hold it in, but also try and have a normal homeostasis and sense of ease, right? And what this dual thing that our cells are doing means is that we are creating less energy, less spoons, but we're also spending a lot of energy in trying to do both, right? In holding in this unresolved stuff while also trying to do life. And so there's an element of this which is literally um, a weight, a heaviness on your cells and which is a drain on your energy and So taking up space in your life, in the world, is harder to do because your ability to move through experiences and have the energy to do difficult things is reduced, right? So there's an element of taking all of the all of the shit that we shoved in our backpack and our pockets and our front pockets and our side pockets and the extra bag and the canvas bag and the side thing, right? All of the luggage that we're carrying, all of the shit that we shoved into those pockets for good reasons, right? Maybe you were too young to deal. or Maybe it wasn't safe to react honestly. Maybe it was too much or not enough right? Maybe our needs not being met for too long. We collect up these unresolved experiences and we're carrying them and they're still in the backpack, they're still in our pockets and they make it harder to do life because there's a heaviness, there's a weight on your system, there's something holding you back. And so this shit that we shove down 
that we suppress or that we just haven't dealt with because there hasn't been the means of dealing with it and the space of safety to move through it. This stuff ends up showing up in our life elsewhere, right? Your bandwidth or your fuse is short. You get overloaded or triggered quickly. You go into trauma responses to deal with people, to deal with life. You have unexplained aches and pains. You feel tired, weighed down, can't focus, can't concentrate. You get lost, stuck. And what you're carrying is taking up space. And it's meaning that we're not responding to our life in the way that we might want to, right? And so we end up creating more dramas and dramas with people, dramas with decisions or not making decisions and not doing the things that we might actually need to do to create some kind of change, right? And this is not our fault, right? This is not your fault. If you're carrying stuff, it's it's not that you can just put it down, And it's not your fault that you're carrying it. We are carrying stuff through no fault of our own. And it's a physiological reality. It's a fact. It's not like, you know, it's not something you can um, think your way out of, right? But what we we can't do is put the bag down. (laughs) We can't just like let go. We can't be all like peace and rainbows and daisies and just think positive, right? We can't do that. That doesn't work. You have to instead open up uh, the stuff bit by bit. And in the meantime, when we haven't done that, what happens on the outside is we end up not taking up space, not going for stuff, not aspiring, not reaching for fear of not being able to handle it, right? For fear of burnout for fear of not being able to move through it without creating more of the same, without creating more stuff to carry. And so we end up not taking up space in our lives as a reflection of not being able to take up the space in our being, right? And I'm saying we're carrying these backpacks in these pockets, but really this is in our nervous system. And so we're not taking up space in our bodies and we end up not taking up space in our lives. Sometimes this looks like taking what we once aspired to to create and in the struggle, just moving that down a bit, lowering our standards, accepting things that we don't really want to accept, expecting less of life not aspiring to so many big things, not reaching. Sometimes it looks like being nice, being apologetic, staying small, people-pleasing, avoiding the dramas. Sometimes it looks like being primed and on the defense to towards anything that might come and knock you off balance, right? that might tip you over, that might overload your system on top of what's already it's already carrying. Demand resistance is therefore often a helpful protocol and it's often a default that lots of folks I work with have got into as this defense, right? It's a refusal that keeps you from falling over because of being overloaded with things that your system can't actually handle 
in its current state. And so it's a helpful protocol, but sometimes it becomes the default, right? It becomes just how we respond to everything. And so there's elements of that that can be unwound just by becoming aware that that's what we're doing. But there's elements of it that are there for good reason, right? So anyway, to take up space in our lives, we first have to take up space and clear space in our bodies, in our nervous systems, in our backpacks. So how do you do this? So as you probably followed, it happens in our bodies first, right? To take up space in our life, we have to do it in our body first. And the areas of your life in which you want to take up space, in which you want to expand, in which, in which you want to be more of yourself, our internal resistance and our emotional discomfort and the ways that that doesn't feel safe shows us where we have something in our our own self to work on and work through first right so the movement into expansion the desire for it the spark the light at the end of the tunnel of un is the invitation and the desire then allows us to and the movement towards that right the considering of like okay what would I have to do who would I have to be what would I have to be okay with doing um, what challenges might I have to face what skills might I have to learn what ways might I have to be seen our difficulty with all of that shows us where our work is it shows us what we're carrying that is in our way right that is space that we have to clear in our nervous system in order to take that space up in life. So this is really about, there's demons, right? There's thought forms, there's lies, there's experiences of harm, experiences of not enoughness, experiences of not belonging. There's experiences of it's not okay to be who you are, that it's not okay to expand, that it's not okay to try that it's not okay to be seen, that collect up in the system, that collect up in our experiences as beliefs. And I've talked before about thoughts and the impact of our thinking, especially around who we think we are, like the I am story episode. So I've talked before about thoughts that we've practiced over and over that then become our reality, right? They become the working assumptions that we are just living through. But there's a deeper level of this, which is that our thoughts, as well as coming from outside of us and media and caregivers and people and systems and structures, they also come from the lived experiences of being on the receiving end of actions of people who think those thoughts, who gave us those beliefs who gave us those experiences or who live those experiences or those ideas in their nervous system or just from the sometimes difficult and traumatic experiences that life sometimes presents which is of no fault or cause from people and it's just something that we go through like um, I don't know a, a tsunami right so Exclusion, pain, harm, hurt, 
needs not being met, shock, reduced status, hierarchies and rules of belonging. There's an, there's a big part of it which is pre-thought, right? which is sublinguistic, which is in the body and which starts even before we're born, but also in those first few years of life. And that these, these experiences, especially if they're repeat experiences or they're conclusions that we made early on or they're um, messages that our nervous system received from the, the nervous systems of our caregivers that create deep-seated beliefs, right? They create this picture in our nervous system of what is real, what to expect, what the world is like and who we are, our level of agency, and so on. And so this is why thought work, things like CBT, sometimes can address the surface stuff for a while, but the underlying belief can still be active. And so often we can work on a thought and move through it and realize that, oh, actually, I don't want to be thinking that way. But the underlying belief is still active and it will it will rear its head somewhere else, right? Or it will keep coming up in a different form and we have to keep working on it, right? And so there's this underlying belief that's still active. But for that to shift, what you really need is a different experience in your nervous system for long enough to then trust and rest on that new experience as something that you can move into right as a as a, a working assumption that you can start to trust and relational safety might be one that your nervous system hasn't had a lot of right material safety might be another one this is why homeless people can't just thought work or self-motivate their way out of a situation Right, that's why it's so much harder. And so there are material and relational experiences of safety that are prerequisites to shifting a belief that is connected to that experience of not safety, right? So there are parts of the brain that become less accessible when we're in that survival mode. And it's literally the whole point of survival mechanisms, right? To turn off the rational thinking brain and get the fuck to safety. <laughs> and there will have been times in your life where the get the fuck to safety mechanism will have been a socially unacceptable thing to do. Or working through and feeling through the intensity of an experience in the way that you might need to be in your body, maybe might be something that other people would think is weird or wrong, right? And so you don't do it. And then you don't get to move through the intensity of it. You just have to kind of store it and put it in a pocket and your backpack for later, right? Or there may be experiences where you getting the fuck to safety may have represented another threat of being rejected or maybe experiences where it's only you that's having that intense response and no one around you is acknowledging that the intense or harmful experience is happening and so it feels like your only option is to pretend that you aren't having that experience 
or to make yourself wrong for it, to blame yourself or think that you are the problem, right? Or when people just make harmful shit happening so normalized in the culture that you think you are the reason why you're having an an intense response to it. And so you end up internalizing it, blaming yourself, shaming yourself, like no one is acknowledging that something wrong is happening. And so you make it mean that it's about you. And then that meaning gets packed away along with the pain. And if that meaning that you made isn't addressed, that pain doesn't get to be released. That experience of stress doesn't get to be released, right? So in those types of instances, we put away, we hold in, we hold back the survival response that really needs to happen. We don't take up space. We retreat, we recoil, we go inside, we internalize, we put it away, we shove it down, we repress, we suppress, we do up the button on that pocket. We're like, fuck, that was hard. Don't want to deal with that. Ouch, that was painful. Ignore that. Going to not look at that until I'm safe. And so we stay in this state of not being sure if we're safe. Or maybe we think, oh, this is about me. This is my fault. So I'm not going to look at this. It's too hard to think that this is because of who I am to admit it. I'm going to put that away along with other things about me to feel shame around. So these beliefs about the world, these nervous system realities, the stuff that we suppress, that we put away, these show up in our thinking. They show up as patterns and assumptions and responses when our bodies are believing uh, and treating and responding to our experiences according to that past uh, experience as if that is current reality, right? As if it's certain, as if that's a reliable working assumption and one that our automated internal homeostasis processes can then rest upon as this is just the life. This is just the life that we're dealing with. This is reality. These are our circumstances. And so we live as if those circumstances are very much true. And we live through the lens of that, those assumptions, right? And if there's stuff that you haven't dealt with, that experience that you believe is the reality, if it's painful, if it's contained harm, you'll either avoid anything that reminds you of that or you unconsciously replicate it because it's what your nervous system's adjusted to as this is just facts of life, right? And so anything that's to the contrary, you will reject and resist. So if you've internalized a belief that you are fundamentally bad or that other people are fundamentally unsafe, your brain will then use that as a lens and a filter and seek evidence to support it and disregard evidence that would deny it. So the tunnel of Un, the new vista, is you coming into a literally new perception, a body perception, a neuroception of reality and self that is like um, having the blinkers taken off. It's like being lifted a level up above ground level and you can see a slightly bigger picture. There's an expansion of what's possible. There's a new framing of those experiences in terms of what you did next, what's now possible once you've processed it, once you're no longer carrying the belief. Anyway, I'm jumping ahead, 
But how we deal with this is to know that whether the belief is actually true or not is, isn't really relevant. It's, it's a nervous system perception of what is safe or not. And these deep beliefs will show up in our thinking, which is a result of those deep-seated beliefs, which then impacts how we feel and then what we do and how we respond and then the life that we're living, right? So the first step is to create and access some type of safety. Your body has to know that it's safe. And this is why coaching can be a transformative tool if it's with a coach we feel safe with, right? And then thought work becomes possible because it becomes something that we start to become aware of and make conscious and unravel the ways, the patterns of those deep-seated beliefs and the ways that those patterns are showing up in our thinking, in what we're doing. And to become aware that it's a perspective that we're living, but it doesn't have to be our future and it doesn't have to be our reality, right? To make conscious of how those beliefs are impacting how we're interpreting and responding to life. And so... Thought work and nervous system work or trauma work or working through stuff don't have to be at odds. And I don't think they are at odds, but we can't positive thinking our way over the stuff that's inside, right? Over the the nervous system response. So it's about understanding that our thinking contains patterns, that our thinking is the surface level expression of something deeper but that both require safety and that the person that you're speaking to or you're sharing with or that's holding space and to know is this someone I feel safe with enough to unpack it and to go there and this is why having someone the support of someone who's able to understand and not gaslight the systemic and external causes of these deep deep-seated beliefs can be such an important criteria for people who have been at the raw nasty ends of our social systems right and that there's also an element of we don't have to unpack it all at once and so that safety is what enables your body to then start to go into the process of unpacking and finding a new way of responding and to bring to light some of the stuff that we've shoved down. An awareness of what we're thinking and the underlying beliefs that that is pointing to, the more and more awareness, then what we get is that we create a gap between the being that is having an experience, your material self, And the consciousness that is able to observe the self, the being, having that experience. And the awareness and the gap between those two means that we then have a choice. So the consciousness observing the self, the being, is what enables us to then have a choice about the actions that we take, the ways that we respond. And that choice sometimes asks us to do things that our body has been used to interpreting as not safe, right? This is a strange contradiction. But it's about taking tiny steps while staying in self-connection. 
And so relational safety can enable us to be in self-connection and be held while we take a tiny step towards something new, a new perspective, a new way of thinking, or moving through the possibilities of doing something that previously felt like not something that we were allowed to do or that was safe to do or something that is open to us. This is a process that I went through to go from deep, deep fear of being seen and recorded, even of having someone looking in the mirror when I was looking in the mirror. Yep. To being okay with being on social media, recording myself on video. And it's the product, it's the end result of lots and lots of tiny steps into that discomfort and out again. And staying with myself and expanding what I'm able to create safety to experience. To ride with and be with the sensations of discomfort for that short time without going into disconnects. So lots and lots of those tiny self-connected expansive actions Lots and lots of those reframing of thoughts and awareness creating and noticing of the patterns and then also processing the the stuff that gets triggered and that triggers, which is really a warning signal from your body, right? Which is like, "Uh -uh. nope, something's not safe here because there's something in me bringing that triggered warning that internal experience from our past or that belief into awareness in order to process it and so bit by bit you clear out the system of the stuff it's been holding and bit by bit your actions those tiny steps start to build up a new experience in your nervous system and those actions come from awareness of what you've been thinking and then choosing a new perspective from which to act and being with yourself in the discomfort towards those actions and building up the self-trust, the self-connection, the internal safety to do that step at a time. And then what starts to happen is your material reality begins to shift in your outer circumstances to know eventually that actually this new reality feels more true. And the stuff that I've been holding can be released because I'm now in a new type of safety. And this is the completion of a solar system cycle on a deeper level, right? When those material external changes that represent safety and self-expression and full beingness are now a material reality. But caveat, notice how some of those external circumstances are not the work of coaching or inner work but other work of policy, government, societal systems of care and safety and material sustenance, but also each of us clearing through what makes dealing with those external inequities and unsafeties double hard, both as an external harm and also an internal harm of making it mean something about ourselves, clearing through the ways that we've made it made it mean something about ourselves, the ways that we have held back, the ways that we've internalized it, the space it's taken up in our own bodies and systems and thinking 
is the work of becoming people who can influence that external change by who we're being, right? Who can increase our ability to be with ourselves through challenges, through challenging systems, through creating what doesn't exist yet, or being a creative person who's offering a different perspective, or responding with the necessary pivots of that being true, or starting a business or creating a solution, as well as openly being someone who other people can have thoughts and words about, but we don't take it in and make it mean things about ourselves. We understand and see it's about them and we can make choices accordingly and this process being individual and collective. So I'm going to finish it there and I'm going to follow up with a part two and I will talk to you very soon. Bye.